A big welcome to the Nick Elston Show, hosted by inspirational speaker and transformational speaking coach, Nick Elston. This show brings you the people who inspire, motivate, educate and engage in all walks of life, sharing their insights and experiences honestly, unfiltered and off script. So without further ado, let's get stuck into today's show. Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Nick Elston Show, season four, episode 17, and the final episode of the season, and what a way to do it. We have an amazing guest to bring you today. Uh, we've had kind of three weeks to build up to this episode as well, having sunned myself in Cornwall. Look, I'll be honest, I'm recording this pre-holiday, so sunning could be really wishful thinking, but let's say that I did have three weeks of sun. Uh, but today we have the wonderful Mike Jones. Big round of applause for Mike. Woo! <laughs> hey! Hi, Nick. How you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? We are all better happy, right? Well, yes, we'd hope so, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So before we go into it, I know we're going to go down lots of different rabbit holes today because we have, when we're off camera, let alone when we're on camera. So before we go into all of that, tell us who you are, what you do, where you're from, that kind of stuff. Think you're on the chase, that kind of thing. Oh, God, I'd be very nervous if I was on the, if I was on the chase. Uh, so um, my name's Mike Jones. I'm the founder of an employee engagement and wellbeing consultancy called Better Happy. I'm 35 years of age. I well, 34, coming up to 35. I live in the West Midlands of the UK, a little town called Droitwich, um, next to Worcestershire. Well, in Worcestershire, which was made famous by Shrek Three. Well, they can pronounce <laughs> or the sauce. Well, they make Worcestershire sauce. So whenever you go travelling, that's all people. Where the sauce is from. Yeah, correct. Fair, yours is probably a better example because of the global audience thing that Worcestershire sauce may not be an American thing. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see. You carry no, on. No, Sorry, no, I'm no, going no, down rabbit no, holes already. I've been in America and I know the sauce. Cool. That's good. <laughs> um, was that it? Was there anything else you wanted? Yeah, no, I, think that's, I think that's it for starters, just to give people flavour for what you're about. So kind of our paths have crossed through the wonders of LinkedIn and actually for, and I've said this before with several guests actually, for all the challenges over the past couple of years, it's also thrown a lot of silver linings my way as well. And it's given me a real chance to kind of build my network with people that do amazing things in, in a same or, or similar space to, to where I am. And uh, as the people on the show know, we have a really diverse audience given the diverse ranges of places that I deliver to. I'm not solution focused, I'm not fixed. Therefore, my responsibility is to surround myself with amazing people that do do that kind of stuff. And you are absolutely one of those got a great reputation, uh, a great vibe as well. And actually, you're just a really down-to-earth guy, which is cool because that's how you kind of portray yourself online as well. It's always a bit of a disappointment sometimes when people are massively different to how they are online. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, I wouldn't be a very good actor. <laughs> yeah, so we've worked out what you're not good, not good on the chase, not good as an actor. Well, we are going to get into what you are good at very, very soon, but... Um, I guess the, the thing that really intrigues me is how do people get to the place that they are now? So give us a, a potted history of uh, of Mike Jones. Yeah, cool. So I uh, started my professional career in the British military. So I was a bit of a 
disenfranchised youth, I would say. I didn't really know what to do myself after college. Um, drank a bit too much, got in a bit of trouble, kind of didn't, didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. And joined the military, spent five years as an army intelligence analyst, which makes me sound probably more intelligent than I am. Uh, <laughs> I was attached to the special boat service. So I spent, I did two back-to-back tours in Afghanistan with them. And basically I'd, throughout that career I had quite it was good it was obviously very exciting and and I got to learn a lot about the world and have a lot of life experiences I also had a very bad relationship with some senior management towards the end of that job which led to me feeling led me into depression essentially Mm. Uh, so that's actually it wasn't going to Afghanistan that made me leave the army it was a poor relationship with with management which I think is fascinating isn't it you know what what's going to make you leave your job get this life-threatening situations or a, yeah. or a bad boss or a bad boss and the bad boss weighs more in my opinion so did that came out of the army uh, I was 25 then and I was like what do I do in my life like I've had the career I've had the money you know you've got a lot of money when you're in the army I was a corporal so pr- pretty decent wage no outgoings I was a young lad uh, tour money as well so I'd had all the stuff that I thought was going to make me happy and I, I felt unhappy and obviously I had a bad relationship with the manager so I decided to very cliche put on a backpack and get a one-way ticket to Thailand and not come back for three years. Um, and throughout that three years, I uh, I lived on monasteries in Thailand and Nepal. I taught kids English. I worked on fishing boats off the coast of south coast of Australia. Um, I, I don't know how many books I read throughout that time. I read a book called The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, which was like a, a pivotal transformation point in my life for me. Um, and then decided towards the end of that time that I kind of like, I was a, a realized, a more realized human being. And I wanted to come back to the UK and help people be healthier and happier. I spent a lot of time with people that have got a lot less than us and realized that actually a lot of the time they're a lot happier than we are. I'm just reading a book at the moment called about the, the lower classes. And it talks, the, the doctor that, that writes the book talks about how he's served throughout throughout the world latin america africa and the uk and that by by and large the most unhappy emotionally strained and spiritually strained people are people in the underclasses of the uk which i thought was really fascinating mm. uh something that i that i saw whilst i was traveling like living in place where people got nothing but they're, ha- they're healthier and happier than us a lot of the time so that kind of opened my a new ways of thinking for me came back to the uk decided i wanted to help people be healthier and happier which is very fluffy um so I started. We're all good with fluffy on here. We're we're, yeah. we're good with woo woo. We're good with the other side of things too. So we're all good. We're fine. This is the hard thing about business, you know. Most of us start as idealists, and we're driven by passion. So we're like, well, the passion will get me there. But what you find out quite quickly is, no, it won't. You need to have a bit of a plan as well. So I started a gym. Was my first business a community gym, a, a CrossFit style gym. I had that for five years. Absolutely loved it. Changed loads of people's lives. Grew it to a very healthy business. Had a team of five. But my experience here was, is that I was working myself into the ground, you know, on the passion tablet. And um, I had two weeks holiday in five years. And as COVID kicked in, I was just so burnt out. And I was just like, I need, I need to get out of this. Um, but two, about two years before COVID, I'd started doing corporate workshops and with and decided to rebrand into Better Happy. And luckily that's gone from strength to strength. And now that's, that's what I do full time. I work with businesses to work on engagement, work on well-being, and also work on sustainable performance. So like, yeah, you're really passionate about what you do. Are you doing it in a way that's sustainable? So that's, that's, 
That's my story in a nutshell. Love that. And so many rabbit holes to go down already. So <laughs> I guess the, the first one I want to explore is this, this, you mentioned it right at the beginning, about your experiences of being kind of in the frontline services uh, in terms of the military and also, um, but the challenge was actually your relationship with, with the management kind of thing. So do you think that's actually, that's a real kind of magnified example of this problem we have with perspective because you hear a lot of people say well who am i to worry about this when this guy's in afghanistan with all this going on actually you found that easier in that sense to deal with than you did with actually the relationship challenge with management perspective can be a real problem can it yeah i think we i think we simplify things and i think we i think we look at things through this big lens and like you know why might why why should i be stressed when there's people that have got less money than us there's people that live in poverty there's people that are in war-torn war countries but essentially at the core of all we're, we're all human beings and there's there's certain things that regardless of who we are or what our unique personality traits are or our, or our histories and our traumas might be mm. um, we all kind of have these same fundamental needs and you know i think when you when you step back from everything you know does does a person have positive relationships, even if they're an introvert, you know, do they have positive relationships? Do they do things that make them feel meaningful? Have they got people that make them feel good about themselves? You know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of the, the core of, of, of human life. And if that's not there, it doesn't matter how introverted, extroverted, how rich or poor or how, how high or senior or junior in a career you might be. If you haven't got those basic components there, you're going to suffer. And actually I'd say that those basic components, like, social interaction, good relationships, feeling that you're valued, having meaning in your life, being healthy. I think they are way more important than where, where you live. Like I said, for, for and I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay poverty here, but like we, we talked like there about me being in Afghanistan, which is life or death situation, high stress situation. But it was these, it wasn't that that was making me deeply unhappy. It was, it was the lack of these fundamental human requirements. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of that, I guess, do you, do you feel sometimes it's the kind of the the pursuit of happiness which can cause more challenges than positive? And just to qualify that in case I kind of, that, that seems nuts, I very often find it, especially kind of amplified by social culture, by social media, for example, you can find actually that pursuit of happiness can cause a lot of a, a lot of damage because we believe that our, our zero point should be happy. So, so we expect to be happy all the time. And then we don't deal with the, the negative stuff so well, but we're always chasing something which is almost slightly out of reach, reach all the time. And for somebody that's had kind of mental illness for, for, for a long time and mental health challenges around that, actually my zero point is is okay my zero point is peace of mind and actually if i'm at that point where i wake up and i'm okay that's like really good for me and that means that i appreciate the happiness when it comes i can deal with the negative a lot better than i used to but do you feel that kind of culture is, is pushing people to that belief that everyone should be happy all the time because they're just continually sharing their spun version of the truth all the time i think that life should be the pursuit of happiness. I think that in Western culture, especially, we don't understand what happiness is. Okay. So I think we should all be focusing every day on moving towards being happy. But I think in Western culture, our fundamental understanding of what it means to be happy is incorrect, which means that we are chasing the wrong thing. 
I so in terms so. of they're attaching happiness to an outcome or or a, a product or something yeah well in the, in in the, and this is i started to have some kind of like real paradigm shifts when i lived when i lived kind of uh in the east as such and i studied a lot of buddhism and studied a lot of spirituality and psychology and happiness does not mean feeling i almost think we need to rebrand the word um i actually had this conversation with the marketing guy when we started about happy i was like i want to rebrand happiness because we all the truth is life is about being happy but but what's not accurate is that this belief that being happy means that we feel joyful and and splendid all the time that's a, that's a that's a improper that's an incorrect what's the word that's an incorrect um definition of the word happy yeah, because chemically addictive as well yeah exactly you know happiness is actually about more in line with a deep inner sense of contentment and peace and contentment and peace part of that is being contented and peaceful when you're not feeling happy you know it's accepting that that is part of that, that you're part of being a human it's hard it's a difficult conversation because our because our understanding of the word happy is i'm smiling i feel great so that's how we use the word but my understanding of the word and i still use it in that context which makes it difficult but my understanding of the word is that to be happy we need to live a meaningful life we need to feel valued in our life we need to have meaningful connections we need to accept that we don't feel joyful and and, and pleasurable all the time we need to accept that feeling a bit down feeling miserable feeling depressed is a natural part of being human and there's nothing wrong with that um and that's what in my opinion being being happy is so when I feel like I've actually considered rebranding the business because I think that people think when they see the name better happy, they're like, well, they just want to make our staff happy. And you're like, we do, but you, but that's a different understanding of what you think happy is because we've got a problem at the moment with businesses and, and, and Western society, I think where we are so fearful of mental health that we don't want to put any pressure on anybody. And that just leads to us being more unhappy as well. So yeah, I mean, that, that's fascinating. I mean, and, and it's interesting that, that the way that you describe it and the way that I've taken it, so t tell me if I'm wrong, um, but it's kind of like, so happiness is kind of like a, or that happy is a code or a playbook, actually. It's a set of ethics, maybe values. Like you said, it's given you the purpose and everything else that you want along the way to get to that point or or to, to achieve that point. Is that right? Am I, am I on the right track there? You can think about it like that. It's, it's ultimately this... It's ultimately this this inner peace that even when you're going through the rough and the, the horrible parts of life and you're feeling those negative emotions, you still feel a sense of contentment and that you're kind of on the right path. I think that's what that's what happiness is. It's not the it's not the presence of positive emotions and the and the absence of negative emotions. What I went into is things that I think contribute to that, which is what you're referring to as the kind of playbook, the philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating stuff, actually. The, so like somebody's happy is it say nick's deeply happy i know i would say you're more happy than most people i know because you're so full of meaning and passion and value and to say that nick's a truly happy guy i mean we're, we're talking about spiritual enlightenment almost which 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 is a very rare thing but when we say that you know he's, he's close to being like perfectly happy which isn't what we're trying to achieve yeah you know it's but what tells me about you is that even when you're going through the tough times in life even when you wake up and you feel like crap you've still got an inner sense of acceptance and 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 a level of peace and contentment even when even when you feel crap so it's like i feel crap but that's okay wow love that 
I'm actually going to start making notes because I'm forgetting all the rabbit holes I want to dive down now. But always be honest. So the first thing, terminology. I think terminology is is huge. And and as you said, you, you've already mentioned that, kind of called it out, actually, that mental health is, and I've said it before on the show, and it's so important to recognise this, that mental health is always used in the negative here, uh, to a lesser degree elsewhere, but here in the UK especially to the extent that people will say, Nick, I have mental health. Like, yeah, absolutely you do. A hundred percent of us do. Whether it's good or bad, that's a whole different thing. But that negative association actually defines the culture around mental health. So it becomes a diagnosis, not a state. And I think that's quite a dangerous place to be. And like you said, especially at a time where people and organisations are being really sensitive around this issue as well, understandably, I guess, but it also suffers the same fate as other big triggers. So like change is one of those things. We have a real negative association with change, but every single client I work with on a corporate level in the UK, their number one biggest anxiety trigger is change, always. Like without exception, whether it's retail or, or hospitality, whatever, they, whatever industry they're in, because we automatically assume change is gonna be negative. Uh, do a, a skit in the in the talk where I'm like, right, show of hands. Who if I said your boss wants to see you in the office straight after this? Who thinks great pay rise? Of course you don't. <laughs> you think I'm out of here. I'm going to get yeah, a big box, put my stuff in. But I'd argue not even that we automatically assume change is going to be negative. I'd argue just fundamentally as human beings, we're wired to be fearful of change because because it might be it might be negative, it might not be negative, but it's definitely going to be something we don't know. And I think. The world changes. Kind of thing kicking in. This is that primal kind of like hard yeah. to look for danger and fear and not being one of a tribe. And what's the two main things that the human brain has done throughout throughout most of our existence on this planet? It's two major roles have been to make sure that we're fitting in with the tribe because because when we're hunter gatherers, if we don't fit in, we die. So com- aggressively compare ourselves to, to to those that we're around, which used to be 10, 30 people. It's now millions of people that yeah. are giving a false impression of what reality actually is and the second one is to look for danger because yeah. again that was useful for, for most of our time on this planet it's still useful now you know if we didn't do those things we'd still we, we, we'd, we'd probably not be in a good place but obviously the the opportunity to do that is far wider now and the potential outcomes of what we're weighing what we're having to weigh up are far wider as well so it used to be if i go around that corner there might be a there might be a bear or it might be a wolf Whereas now it's we can sit here and, and start thinking about completely, um, com- completely just mentally created constructs of, of a danger. It might be the economy could collapse tomorrow and I'm, I'm, I might be out of house and home, you know, and I'll get all of the negative things around that. And that's this is a challenge because, if, you know, again, it, it just happens on overdrive. It's comparing, mm. it's worrying, it's comparing, it's worrying. And, it, and it, if we're not aware of it and we're not, kind of able to create a healthy relationship with it and if we just wish it wasn't there which is never going to happen then we end up moving towards society where we've got where it's like everything's more extreme there's more things to think about more things to worry about which creates a breeding ground for more poor mental health correct what's our emergency response i don't want any of that stuff don't put any don't put any stress on me keep me away from any potential changes i don't want to do that it creates anxiety i don't want to create do that it creates stress i just want to stay down here in my safe little zone but the the irony is is that by not exposing yourself to stress or anxiety or or danger you end up with poor mental health <laughs> yeah and, and there's there's a really fine line isn't there between kind of anxiety and depression and, and certainly from 
from my experiences, and like I said, that be interesting to hear your your experiences too on this, is that very loosely, of course, but anxiety was a thing that got me down. Depression was a thing that kept me down in a very, very generalist kind of statement, but mm. absolutely true in my experience. And one of those reasons actually was because of that, to, to cut off feeling hate, you cut off feeling love, to cut off feeling bad, you cut off feeling good. So what you end up doing is live, living in this kind of self-contained numbness of your own creation. You live under a haze. And, and I think people don't really understand this, I think, and they find it difficult to understand if they've not experienced it. But when you look at things like um like breakdown or mental illness like pain is not the worst thing you can feel for me the worst thing was feeling absolutely nothing at all actually not realizing what normal looked like or what not realizing how you should react to certain things for me that was the, the most difficult part and yeah. it, again it becomes a it becomes that construct that you're mentioning that you start to put these boundaries around you to kind of protect yourself in the same in, in a way but what you're doing is excluding opportunity and support as well do you think that do you think that your, and obviously there's a few ways to answer this, but do you think that it's your anxiety that led to your depression or do you think it's the way that you handled or didn't handle the anxiety, the anxiety that you were suffering that led to the depression? So if the anxiety wasn't there, are we saying that the anxiety needed to not be there or that the way you, you chose to deal with it? Well, again, as we know, there's a very kind of subjective, unique experience for everybody. But it, for, for me, the, for many years, I never had a depressive element. It's only actually in the more recent years that I had that, but I think that what it, what what spurs it is that when you're used to kind of, not to say is that is that hope or the the lack of hope which which kind of fuels us all or can take us all down. And I think for me, with that kind of combined experience of decades of mental illness, uh, decades of mental health challenges, that feeling that these things were never truly going to go away, and I think in the spirit of honesty, combined with uh with the pandemic and lockdown like you said more kind of global events that that isolation actually forced me into that position where actually you get into that zone where you start cut off cutting off things again and you do lose sight of what normal is i couldn't work out what normal was what, how do you normally interact with people and all the way through obviously like we all do in whatever we do we, we're kind of delivering and i'm I'm as honest as I can be, but sometimes the awareness isn't there at the time, to be completely honest, because you don't realise yourself. So I'm always very open, even on professional platforms like LinkedIn. If I'm struggling, I'll tell people I'm struggling. But what I found was as lockdown went on, it was kind of like you don't realise how much you're carrying until you stop. So as soon as the world opened back up again, I started to feel like I didn't want to be part of that anymore. I kind of felt like... Um, and this is interesting. I've not spoken about this in this stuff before. So the ties have been turned. I've never asked the questions. But I've, what I found was that there was a conditioning impact of actually inside safe, outside not safe. So there was a, and I think our stay home, save life thing certainly had that impact. Yeah, exactly. And that was that daily kind of 530 reminder that that was the case. But it was a bit deeper than that as well, because actually when you cut out external influences, actually, it becomes a comfort zone in that sense. So we all know that comfort zones are uncomfortable, but it becomes one. And I think that there's a real difference between knowing something and even speaking about something and then actually taking your own advice or, or applying it to yourself. And what I found was coming away from a lockdown, that's when actually when the, the, the depressive element kicked in. Um, so it came a lot later than actually than, than anxiety for me. Hmm. there's so much there i i think 
you kind of in a long and throughout your own story brought it back to that context of there's all this more than we've ever seen before stress anxiety which is a fact and then we've got the option which we never had before to to put ourselves into a comfort zone and to 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 kind of legitimately survive without really having much impact with other people that's a new thing yeah that's not that's never existed before because that used to mean death so there's there's this new opportunity this new option for us human beings to instead of encountering all this new increased level of anxiety and stress that's floating around and change that's floating around in the world i could put myself in this place where i've got limited interaction i can kind of build my own little ecosystem and, and stay down here and i think that's a problem that a challenge and a, a new thing that we're experiencing on a, on, a, on a global level this show is sponsored by forging people transformational speaking coaching are you truly being heard in life in business in education, even at home. Your ability to deliver any message with clarity, power and emotion will have an ultimately defining impact on your success as a speaker, leader and influencer. For more information, contact team at forgingpeople.com. Are you truly being heard? It's time to find your voice. What, there's a couple of things. Number one, I think you kind of highlighted what I said again, which is we'll, we'll choose the comfort. You know, of course we will. What, what would you rather do? Go and make yourself uncomfortable and expose yourself to all this challenge and heartache and hard stuff, or would you choose comfort? Mm. And everyone's going to say comfort. Nobody just, nobody, that's why it's so important to have goals, because without goals, we make ourselves comfortable. But again, the irony is, is that the, the comfort over time leads to depression and poor mental health. So that's the irony of it. And it, it kind of comes back to where I am really. And it's like, if you think about the hunter gatherers, which is, you know, if you took human time and put it on an arm span like that, you know, from my, and that's our time that we've been alive from my fingers here to my wrist is we were hunter gatherers, you know, and then from my hand and that scale, probably less, actually it's like 10% or well, less than 10%, 5%. We've been agriculturalized and we, we've learned to live as tribes a bit more. And then modern technology in the times we live now is like less than my fingernail. So it's, you know, most of our time we've, we've been hunter gatherers and all of the dangers and, and anxieties and stresses and worries were still there. You can argue that a lot of the dangers are worse, but we didn't have the option to avoid them. We had to confront them. So we were forced to, to, to deal with the stress, anxiety and worry, but we were forced to do it in a community of people, which meant that, let you know like you just said in your story you know lockdowns kicked in you've carried on working carried on being positive but you kind of almost subconsciously start to carry some baggage along the way and i think and i'm not telling you what your story is nick but i think a con- <laughs> i think a contributing factor to that is going to i don't know because i've experienced it myself a, a contributing factor to that is going to be the fact that you're not really talking to anybody other than being nick and being the professional that you are you know and and maybe your partner or whatever else but you're not really got the tribe around you that's looking after you that's developing you because you've been removed from that now that i think we need that i I think i don't think humans can thrive without that aspect even like the buddha you know if you're going to argue and say the highest realized person in the world spent years and years and years sitting in meditation not with other people true but what did he do with it he brought it all back and wanted to be with other people and share it and build a community so even the most enlightened person in the world needs that tribal community aspect and this is why i think businesses are the employ are, are the engagement well-being and health solution not the problem businesses see that see that they've got to deal with this problem like you're man you're you're the solution man <laughs> like 
people need to be around people. They need to have a goal that they have to work towards. They need to be developed and they need to be supported. People have also got the option not to do that and just avoid it and stay comfortable. Okay, yeah. but if you but when they come into a job, that's that's an environment where you can force all of those things to happen in a positive way. Okay, you can give them goals that they need to work towards. You can give them the goal of the business. You can give them a community of people that support them and have got their back. You can give them personal goals. You can you can push them and 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 test them in a way that's developmental, not just get on with this go away and crumble you know like you you've got this and and that forces them to encounter all this negative stuff that they've got in their head but it forces them to overcome it and progress and progress and progress uh that's why i think businesses are the solution because without that as we're seeing with many youth of today and as many of us have experienced over lockdown we can just stay comfortable and remove the bits of life that we don't like and that just leads to more poor mental health which is the it's a paradox isn't it yeah it is and you're quite right is that because I mean, people that, that know me know, and I'm, I'm an introvert by by the nature of I recharge on my own company. So there's a certain element of that there was a lot of good that happened throughout that period as well. But you're quite right. Actually, the, the, the self-awareness piece for me was knowing that I did need to reach out to somebody. And, and again, I've been very open about this, that I engaged with a, a counsellor. And for most of last year, I was actually uh, going through the counselling and kind of therapy process. And that really, really helped because the context is different, isn't it? I think if you are in lockdown with somebody really really close to you the context is different so it's quite hard to be and especially if you're trying to support and, and kind of be positive for the other person as well so yeah. what i found was actually interestingly that over the past couple of years that i would say even kind of like personal relationships like friendships have been quite uh what's the best word up and down that kind of um i would say i lost more friends over the past couple of years than i have done before um not fatally thank thankfully but but also gain more friends than I have done over the past couple of years than I have done before. And I think there's certainly, there's been very changeable, going back to that change thing again, where a lot of people, either their priorities have changed or um, they're, uh, they're acting maybe from a position of fear. Uh, from, from my sense, I've kind of lost sense of what normal actually was in that sense. Um, and even down to things like um, those kind of quizzes we were doing with everybody, even after a while, it just got become another kind of bit of a screen time thing. So, all of these things kind of meant actually that you, I was, even as somebody in this space, I was reaching out less than I would have before because I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go with that and who I wanted to share that with because everyone else was in a different place too and you weren't quite sure. I would say I probably only got a, um, maybe two or three very, very close friends that I would reach out to and actually kind of speak to myself. Um, so, yeah, it is an interesting one. Reaching out is really important. What I found was re-engaging with counselling and therapy and actually even speaking about that publicly that's really helped too because not only does it take the taboo away especially as a man I think not exclusively with men but especially but especially with men there's a real challenge around this stuff and and again that really nicely leads me on to the point of I know that that process had worked for me when it felt like that kind of weight had lifted and it came from reaching that point of acceptance and this is what I mentioned with Julie last episode and the one that I lined you up for, because this is a theme I really wanted to discuss with you. And I think people that have listened to this episode so far will know why. I love our conversations. I think we go really great places. The power of acceptance to fully accept everything that's gone before, good, bad, perceived failure, screw ups, all the things that we've done wrong along the way. Um, all, every twist and turn and direction change has led to exactly where we are today. However, it's what you do next that counts. And I think that's the bit that we all get wrong. And that's the bit I was getting wrong for a long time. 
I felt that because things have happened a certain way before, they were going to happen a certain way in future. And again, therefore, we ring fence those kind of opportunities or whatever they, these relationships. And uh, and therefore, we again, it puts another comfort zone around us, doesn't it? So how important has acceptance been in your journey, um, especially going through the, the things that you've experienced? It's something that you are always learning about acceptance. I mean, it's 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 funny because I'm reading a book at the moment called Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy, psychologist, uh, PhD. So good recommendations coming through here as well. So I'll put all the links to these books in the in the bio as well. One of my favourite books, that, and I haven't even finished it yet. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And it, he talks about exactly this, and he references Carol Dweck and, and, and growth, you know, growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And... And I, and I also teach ACT, you know, to businesses, acceptance, commitment, therapy, which sounds very clinical, but it's psychological skills. Uh, and that's referenced in the happiness trap by, by Russ Harris. And it's, it's all the same message, you know, it's the same. It's really interesting for me because I started my spiritual journey as such uh, and started kind of, I went on my turning point of going from being a lost youth that just wanted to drink and do the things that young lads do to actually having some direction and purpose in my life was by reading Buddhism and the Dalai Lama. So I started with like teachings from two and a half thousand years ago. And then all the stuff I read now, the vast majority of the stuff I read now confirms what was taught back then. And you start to hear repetitive stories and you start to hear the same things. And it's once you hear things like five, 10 times, you're like, okay, we need to be, we need to be making this a, a thing. You know, this is, this is the, this is the, the solutions to most of our problems um, and one of those repetitive messages is acceptance you know it's taught in the foundations of buddhism it's taught in act it's taught by psychologists today it's taught by mental health specialists you know it's it, it it's the fundamental it's one of the fundamental components of being a healthy happy functioning human and i think we've developed society and culture in a way that encourages people not to do that especially especially men but all of us um so it's vital and for me i mean i'll be really honest the i was struggling with my mental health and i had had a psychologist and counselor um in lockdown as well bearing in mind that i'm an introvert so i thought a lot of lockdown was great but i was also developing some issues and um I had a bearing bearing in mind I've spent time on monastery, like a lot of time on monasteries. I don't know how many hours and days I've spent in meditation and, and studying Buddhism, and, and you know I've learned this stuff. <laughs> and then I was really struggling, and my psychologist said to me, "You need to read the Happiness Trap," written by Russ Harris, which introduced you to acceptance commitment therapy, because your problem is, and this is why I own Better Happy as well. She said, "Your problem is, is that you are still telling yourself it's a bad thing when you're not happy." And even though I logically knew this, she, I, I, I subconsciously was doing that. And she really kind of hit a chord with me. I was like, yeah, you're right. And I like almost felt like a fraud. I thought I can't go and do a well-being workshop if I'm not feeling happy. You know, it's, that's, I'm, a, I'm a fraud. I should be feeling happy most of the time. I should be limiting the, the amount of time that I, that I don't feel happy um, by, by taking positive action. And that, it's that that was leading to me feeling miserable. And once I, once I was able to get past that and like have this acceptance uh, around that I don't have to be happy all the time, that transformed me greatly, especially psychologically. And then the stuff with the stuff with um, Benjamin Hardy, who talks, he, I mean, he got kind of he has a dig against personality profiling because he, he's like, you know, this, this convinces us that we are a certain way. 
and that's the way it's always going to be because of what's happened to us in our life. And he's like, but this it's not true. You know, like you can you can actually change your personality. Um, you can change all aspects of yourself. And again, it just comes from accepting that things have happened to you in the past. You've been a certain way. You've done certain things that you might might not be proud of. You might regret. Um, you've also done things that you've also done things that you absolutely love and you're very proud of. And that if you dwell on that, you just you just live a life stuck in a bad place. And you've got to. We have to have this acceptance component. Um, you know, acceptance commitment theory. Accept that you're not going to feel happy all the time, that your life's been it the way it has and that things have happened and, and commit to what you want to become. Like, just accept that it's there. Stop dwelling on it. The more energy you give it, the the, the, the strong, the, the more time you spend kind of not moving, not developing. If it's such a, a crucial thing, why do, we, why do we find it one of the most difficult things to achieve? Being healthy is one of the most important things in life. Why do we find that so difficult to achieve? You know, it's... It, this is a deep this is a deep probably societal problem it goes into politics it goes into culture we're a capitalist society which has brought about innumerable benefits and increased the quality of life of more people than we've ever seen before but it also presents its challenges which we're we're seeing now so i'm not going to stand there and say you know we should we shouldn't be capitalists we shouldn't place we shouldn't place um, value on on material things because that's a stupid thing to say because it's brought a lot of benefits as well um, Hello, Mateo, like, ladies and gents. It's going to be a nine-hour final episode. We've got a lot of rabbit holes to go down. <laughs> but with modern technology and with capitalism and with money and with the internet and all the nice things that it brings along with it, it brings new challenges. And, you know, societally, we we put this emphasis on them. We have done historically on the man being the, the strong kind of guy that goes out and, and, and leads and... And, and brings in the money and then so you've got you've got generations of fathers and grandfathers that have told their their sons like get on with it you know show up and put up men don't show emotions mm. because because society was told them that that's what that's what the man needs to be but then you go and live in different cultures and you realize it's, it's quite different so it's it's all embedded in our history it's cultural it's societal and it just passes down into our subconscious uh, you know, there's songs, boy, boys don't cry, you know, <laughs> there's, all, there's, 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 there's all big boys don't cry. There's all of this stuff, isn't there? So and um, in a kind of the, the Remington way that, that you liked it so much, you bought the company, you're now an ACT practitioner. Um, how does it actually look uh, when you when you work with clients? What's the kind of process in terms of uh, in terms of like duration and, and what you do and how do people engage with it? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So I mean, our main preferred method is three separate workshops with a month in between because it's all well and good doing the theory you want to go and practice uh they're like an hour 90 minutes and you, you talk about three the three pillars of psychological well-being there's lots of different models so some psychologists this, this is created by by very renowned psychologists but some will say you know i prefer this method whatever i found that this works exceptionally well um so the three pillars are the uh, the noticing pillar that's the central pillar so that's mindful that's being aware of what's going on in your mind instead of just living it it's like being aware so instead of me waking up and feeling miserable and living that it's like i notice i feel miserable today so that's the first thing the second thing is the active column which is identifying your values and what you want to move towards in life because that takes effort it's your goals you know what, what what's most important to me who do i want to be and then your third pillar is the open pillar and this is about skillfully relating to the world within so it's like you know one of the first session we're like oh yeah you get all this negative self-talk that's part of being a human and it's never going away and they're like oh well that's nice to know because we actually get the groups to share the negative self-talk and that's really powerful because you, you notice nobody wants to admit it because we all think it's just me 
Mm. Oh, it's just me that thinks like this. You know, we all think we all think that. And then when you get one person, well, I normally start by sharing mine and they're like, well, this guy standing up in front talking all confidently has all these thoughts. And I'm like, they're genuine. Like, these are thoughts I've had in the last few days. And then they're like, oh, and then somebody else will share some of the negative self-talk that they've got. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, I have this. this, And then you'll see everybody in the room start to go, well, well, well so do I. And it's like this, it's probably a massive part of the value in what you do in your days as well, because it makes people realise that, oh, it's not just me. All this, because part of this negative self-talk, because I tell myself it's just me, I'm flawed, there's something wrong with me, it's because of my childhood, it's because of that situation or when that person's horrible to me. And when you do it with other people, they're like, wow, that's all of us. But then they're like, all right, but what do we do about it? <laughs> so then we, use, the then we do- you're not just doing that. You, you're kind of you're encouraging people to ask better questions of themselves. Yeah, yeah exactly that. You know, it's all it's all the same stuff when you come down to it. Like I see you and I hear your story, and it's about you. You were carrying, you putting so much pressure on yourself, and you were stressed, and you had all this anxiety building up. And actually, you know, I'm very quickly paraphrasing your story here. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then. And then one day it got so bad that you decided to like, you, well, you didn't decide, you had no choice. You had to talk about it to a group of business people mm. and you felt this weight lift off your shoulders. And, and that led to you kind of like completely transforming as a person. And, and, and you see a lot of inspirational kind of coaches and, uh, and, uh, and figures. And a lot of them will talk about this defining moment where they stopped trying to be someone they weren't. They stopped holding on to all their stuff and they just started to be open and honest and, and it transformed them. And a lot of what we do in the businesses is just go and tell people that that's what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. But you've got to accept it's, it's okay to be negative. You, we've all got it. If you just focus on that, it gets worse. We actually used to think of the passengers on the bus analogy. Um, and then, then we're like, okay, so trying to trying to get those negative self voice, those self, trying to get rid of it or hating it makes it worse. So let's accept that it's there. Let's identify what we want to move towards so that we've got this kind of goal. And let's use some funny little tactics that are psychologically developed to create a healthier, healthier relationship with this. And if anybody's listening, they're like, what is that? How do I, you know, it's no complex, there's no magic formula. It's things like, and this is developed by psychologists, recognize the negative self-talk that you get and see if there's a theme and attach a name to that. So I have the critical corporal. I have this part of me that's, very critical. I'm ex-military, you know, and I want to spot anything that goes potentially wrong. I want all of my posters to be perfectly straight and I want my slides to be neat. And, and that can have its benefits, but it can also mean that a lot of the time I'm being a dick to my partner because I'm being critical about everything. I'm being a dick to myself and I'm yeah. making my life miserable. And when I give it that name, the critical corporal, instead of just it kicking in and me doing it, I'm like, oh, critical corporal's back. It, it creates distance between you and the thought and the stream of thought. So it helps you start to realise that I'm not critical. I just have this voice that can be critical and these thoughts that can be critical that pop up and I've got the option to ignore them. Giving Disney voices to the, to the negative self. There's lots of different things you can do to um, dissipate the impact of that, of that negative self-talk. Do you work one-to-one with people as well? I, I do. Not, not a lot. Um, I, do more, I do more group stuff. Okay. And you mentioned that you incorporate your your personal kind of experiences and thoughts into your your workshops. And I guess that's what kind of really emotionally buys people into you because they kind of feel. And I'm assuming because I absolutely feel this, that people that are listening and watching this right now will actually feel what you're talking about. Not just hear you, but they'll feel what you're talking about. 
your your personal story your experiences is this something you share as a speaker for example yeah i i I consciously don't do a lot of one-to-one because i think the magic is in the group i think humans need humans now we need one-to-one a lot of times i have have one-to-one sessions for myself as well but i actually think a lot of poor mental health can be solved in the groups uh, or, or resolved early i think we need to do more promoting positive mental health not just not just reacting to poor mental health mm. um and yeah i do talks and then the key thing around the talk is trying to get people to understand this that business isn't a problem it's actually it's actually the probably one of the best places to solve this problem it's an opportunity and actually if we just all of us as individuals and as groups and as families and as teams and businesses we if just by getting a bit of a better understanding around what the challenges that we face we can all start doing something about it instead of all living in these areas that you and I have spent too much time in where we like, we don't recognize the problem. We're living the symptoms and we just spent go for too long without being able to do anything about it. Cause nobody's made it clear to us that, yeah, you are really anxious and really stressed because of this, this, and you're not talking, you've got loads of things to worry about. You know, you're on your own, you're isolated, A, B, C, D, F, G. But if more of us just talked about that, then the world would be a much better place. Awesome. Absolutely agree. <laughs> Big hug to that. Um, in terms of, we've spoken about what's before, we've spoken about where you are now. What's next for Mike Jones? What's next? I truly believe that by improving employee engagement and employee well-being, which is what we, which is just what we're talking about, but in the business place, that you that the world will be a better place. I think when people are happy in the context of happy that we've talked about, they contribute to the world. I think when we're unhappy, chronically unhappy or unwell, we take from the world. You know, we need more stuff by and large. And I think that we've all got within us the 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 traits, the tools, the the drive to go make the world a better place. We just need to make sure that people are supporting us and showing us the way and that we're in the right environments to do so. And I think that not only will businesses rapidly grow by making engagement and well-being a priority, they'll they'll make the world a better place because naturally their their customers will their clients will want to work towards meaningful things and all of their clients and all of their customers will go away and want to do positive things as well so i'm just going to keep trying to uh change as many businesses as possible and change as many employees lives within the businesses as possible uh, and see what major things we can we can make happen amazing love that and i do encourage everybody to reach out and connect with mike his links and stuff or in the bio but the question i like to ask everybody and for the final time oh, for i am the new mc uh, uh the new mc of the o2 arena in london Twenty thousand people have paid our hard-earned money to come here you do your thing you're kicking back in the green room sip, sipping a prosecco or a beer whatever your typical choice is and your walk on music kicks in that song that motivates you that gets you at peak state that lifts you ready to perform Mike Jones, what would your song be? I can't remember the name of the artist, but the song's called Generator, and it starts with, I get a record player and a generator, generate the music that makes you feel better. And basically it goes into like, I don't live in poverty. I haven't got a lot of money, but I've got a healthy body. And it's all about appreciating life what it is. And it's very, it's very upbeat and puts you in a good mood. So of all the times I've asked a question, and there's like thousands of times, that's the first time that song's been recommended. So this and every other choice from every other guest of season four will be on a playlist coming your way very, very soon. But for now, Mike James, big round of applause. 
what an amazing guest. I know, I know there's at least another episode in us. So uh, stay tuned for Mike coming back in future season. Hopefully he'll grace us with his presence and donate his busy time. Um, but for now, big thank you for being on the show, Mike. Any parting words of wisdom? Prioritise yourself, read lots of books and do what makes you happy. Love that. What a beautiful way to wrap up the show and the season. Uh, so for everybody else, thank you so much for being part of the journey for this season. Season five will be coming your way in September of this year, 2022. Uh, I have some amazing guests lined up already from lots of different walks of life and stuff, uh, as per usual. So stay subscribed, uh, keep on sharing the love, and I'll see you again very soon. Take care, have an amazing summer, and I'll catch you again later in the year. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Do hit the like button and subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes. Published every Monday and available through YouTube or the podcast platform of your choice. See you next week.